This week I was thinking about a, a man that uh, became a dear friend of mine many years ago. He was a young man. He was energetic. He was always around the church looking for things to do. One of the highlights of my relationship with him was, uh, I remember one year he played Jesus in an Easter musical, and he was absolutely wonderful. And I remember him sitting on some steps kind of like these, and the children were brought up around him, and, and he began to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And that image is just kind of burned into my brain. And, and then later on in that same musical drama, he was attached to a cross and covered with blood. I remember him coming before the play, and, and he said, Cal, would you teach me something about crucifixion? I, I just want to know. I want to understand it so that I can go through this process. I, I want to do the very best job that I can do. That always impressed me about him. A little while later, after uh, the hurricane hit in Louisiana, we, we all went down on a bus. We worked together. We laughed side by side. He wasn't able to come. He had his own business. And so he came down, drove by himself 12 hours just so that he could be with us in Louisiana so that he could serve the people there in New Orleans. And, and I remember uh, down on our hands and knees working together and sweating and, and laughing and just having such a great time together, such a period of joy. We were brothers, friends. He was true blue, as the expression goes. He had his own company, and so what that meant was that he had to travel an awful lot. And Somewhere out on the road, he met another woman, and they had a long-term affair. His wife found out about it, and although we tried to make things better, tried to get them in counseling. The marriage was just over. She and the kids were devastated and, and likely the scars will remain an awfully long time, especially in the lives of those two young children. His family was absolutely devastated. The church was hurt and I was heartbroken because after all, he was, is my brother. How would you respond to him upon his return to the church? He came back almost a year later. How would you respond to him after you'd seen the pain that had been caused? Maybe you would uh, not be able to say anything at all. Maybe you just glare at him, you know, the glare that says, we know what you did. Or maybe we could summon a smile and nod, but inside... Oh, inside. You'd never catch me doing that. I guess we really know what his true colors are. Or maybe we just refuse to make eye contact because the whole deal is just very awkward. How would you respond? I believe our scripture passage this morning has much to say about it. Would you turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians beginning in the 5th chapter in the 12th verse. 2 Corinthians 5.12 says this, We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. 
For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Lord, what a gift it is to come into your presence. We take it for granted. We say your name so easily. We open your word so comfortable with it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take away our comfort today. That we would look through these God-breathed words as if for the first time. And we pray, Father, that by the power of your Spirit that we would be changed, transformed a little more this day into the character, into the image of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that I can say or do that will have any meaning without your Spirit. And so we humbly ask, in the name of Jesus, come. Breathe through us today. Change us. In his name, amen. Something absolutely marvelous happened to Apostle Paul. Something absolutely transforming. On, on the Damascus Road, on the day that he encountered Jesus Christ, everything changed. The day before that, he was a raging bull. He was a, a man with blood in his eyes. He would go over great distances just so that he could capture Christians, bring them back into Jerusalem and make them stand trial. I, I'm unclear whether or not he put Christians to death, but I know he tolerated. I know he stood by. And we look at that outer rage and we can only imagine what the inner turmoil was that compelled this man to such fury. Oh, but then there was Jesus. And sweeter words have never been said. But then there was Jesus, and Jesus transformed everything. 
Jesus who convicted Paul and, and loved Paul and forgave and healed and set Paul back on a new path. And I want to tell you today, I remember one of my professors in seminary, he said, and Paul never got over that moment. He never got over it. It, it compelled him from that point forward. Verse 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, we're not ready for the therefore yet. I want to just build the case a little bit before we get to that therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore in the scripture, you should probably underline it. A case is being built and now there's an expectation that follows. In this idea, the case is that God has reconciled man through Jesus Christ. He has reconciled man. I mean, and, 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 listen, listen, some of you have family who you're reconciled with, right? And it's just kind of a little reconciliation. It's like enough so that you can tolerate them at Christmas and Thanksgiving, but the rest of the year it's just, uh, we just kind of put up. This is not that kind of reconciliation. I looked up the definition of reconciliation. It, it, it's this. It says, the total removal of hostility between God and man through Jesus. Can someone say amen? Amen. I'm telling you what. The total removal, there is no anger, there is no need for guilt, there is no animosity on God's part, there is no, there is no judgment, because we are what? We are reconciled. We are healed. And we like to say amen afterwards. I mean, I'm telling you what, talk about good news. I mean, we, we just love the idea of being reconciled. We, 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 along with the Apostle Paul, we can exult, we can rejoice, and if we had a few Pentecostals in here, there may be some that just started dancing, and I'd be okay with it, and I might just join in. Because there is, there you go, there is no greater word than reconciliation in my mind when it's being applied to our relationship with God. And now, you're ready for the therefore. Because all of this has happened, because Christ has died for you on the cross, because there has been a, a complete healing and reconciliation, therefore, because you are the recipients of this, verse 16, for now, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Well, listen, on the first reading, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Because how do I recognize you if it's not according to the flesh? How do I know how I'm supposed to treat you if not according to the flesh? Paul says, from now on, I'm not going to recognize anyone according to the flesh. In other words, what he's saying is, I have ceased to make superficial, personal judgments based on external appearances. We see it all the way through the letters Paul says, uh, no longer do I see Jew nor Gentile. It makes no difference. No longer do I see male nor female. It makes no difference. No longer do I see outsider or insider, uh, male nor female, slave nor free. We could add today, we no longer see black or white or brown. They mean nothing. The only important distinction that Paul says that he will see from this point forward is, is he a believer or an unbeliever? Is she in Christ or is she without Christ? If she is in Christ, is she walking the disciples' path? 
Is she being transformed? No longer do we see nationality or citizenship, but only we are to see spiritual status and that alone. And then Paul continues in verse 18. Now all these things are given of God who reconciled to us himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Again, therefore, because you have received the ministry of reconciliation through Christ, the idea now is because you have received this incredible grace, you are now to be ministers of the reconciliation to the rest of the world. Paul never got over being reconciled. And out of his appreciation and out of his love and his obedience, he became an incredible messenger. He never got over his reconciliation. And I just wonder today if we've gotten over ours. If we become so comfortable with it that we have lost or forgotten that we too are ministers of the reconciliation. Let, let me ask you a question. In broad strokes, how do you see people? Do you see a, kind of an optimistic worldview? Do you see people as basically good? Maybe you're a Genesis 1 and 26 person. Then God said, let us make man in our image. What an incredible thing to be made in the image of God. According to our likeness. Then in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. Is that how you see yourself? Is that how you see others? Do you see yourself as, as, and others Christians as basically good intention and yes, marred by a fallen world, but God working in them to recreate his image? Do you see unbelievers above all as needing Christ so that they too can begin that journey of reconciliation and reconstruction back into that good image? Is that kind of your world understanding or how you see yourself and you see others? You say, no, no, that's not really the way I see things. I'm more of a realist. I'm more of a Genesis 3 kind of person. Genesis 3, 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. As one of my former pastors used to say, they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And it was all downhill from there. What's the cornerstone of your theology? As you look at yourself, as you look at other Christians, as you look at other believers, do you see that we are created in the image of God, moving toward wholeness, created for joy and, and, and abundance? Or, or do you see your life as those around you just broken and hiding your nakedness from God and just on the run and waiting for the next failure to occur? To help answer that question, Think back about the young man that I described at the beginning. How would you respond to him? Maybe you'd look at him and you'd say, I knew it. I just knew it. Men are dogs. Men are dogs. Good. No amen. Good. Men are dogs. I'm just so disappointed. We thought we knew him, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised because after all, now we know his true colors. In other words, we know what he's really like. 
people are not basically good. People were created, but they're not moving toward wholeness. They're not they're, they're broken, and, and it was all downhill from there. And, and you know what, brothers and sisters? That would absolutely be a correct theology if it weren't for the reconciliation with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You see, through the cross, through the cross, God looks at each one of us believers. He looks at each one of us And through the lens of the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus and his blood, he looks at us as already perfected. That's the way that we can even go into his presence today. If it was not for that, we could not go and pray. We could not believe that he hears our prayers. We would have no access into the throne, into the grace of God. But he sees us through the sacrifice of Jesus He sees us as whole and perfected. Now the reality is that we've still got some work to do, amen? And so the Spirit is working within us. This is the, we might call this reconciliation. We might call it reconstruction back into the image of Jesus. We could call it sanctification. And so the work of our life now is is to move, to let the Spirit work within us. And so this image becomes the real image. And the last process, that last step is when God calls us home and he'll he'll glorify us. He'll perfect us. But here's the important thing that we need to hear. Paul says this is the way that God sees you. He sees you as perfected. And so I'm going to do my very best from this point forward not to see you as broken, not to see you as incomplete, but I'm going to do my very best to see you as God sees you. I'm going to do my very best not to treat you this way, but this way, as one who has been perfected, as one who is beloved by God. This is the way that I'm going to treat you. I'm not going to see you as if by the flesh anymore, but through the lens of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. That's the way that we're supposed to see believers. We're supposed to lift them up. We're supposed to treat them that way. And don't you know that by doing that, we're going to help them in this process of sanctification. I'm not going to see you by the flesh anymore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. I'm not going to see you in the same old way. I'm not going to see myself in the same old way. Listen, I want to tell you today, who is that young man? What were his true colors? Was he truly the one? Is that truly who he is? This one that was sitting and teaching and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? He, he hung on a cross at the back of the church. He, he, he led people in worship through his actions. He gave his very best. Who is he? Is that his true colors? Or is he just an old man, an old dog, who fell and fall? And I think what the scriptures are saying is that I'm going to see you in this way. I'm going to treat you in this way. As the beloved of God. As a new creation. And so when we have a sister who has fallen, who's struggling, we can lay aside judgment and we can go to the sister and say, come now, my sister and my friend, this isn't who you are in Christ. Let me help you up. 
And together, let's begin again. Commentator Ralph Wood once said, the reconciliation with God that we receive through Christ means from now on we cannot see any person as anything other than a creature for whom Christ died and thus as one meant to become a new creation. Did you hear that? It's absolutely wonderful. We cannot see any person as anything other than a creature for whom Christ died and thus as one meant to become a new creation. Karl Barth, the wonderful German theologian of the 20th century, probably the, the theologian of the century, was once asked if he had the opportunity to speak to Adolf Hitler, what would he say? What would you say to Adolf Hitler, the monster who was at the time destroying Europe and, and would have destroyed the whole world if not stopped? And the questioner assumed that Bart would offer, you know, a scorching prophetic judgment that, you know, bring down the fire, Carl. Let it happen. Thunder and lightning. It's time for Old Testament prophet judgment. Instead, Carl Bart replied, I would do nothing other than to quote Romans 5.8. Why we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. That and nothing more. That seems a little unsatisfying, doesn't it? Wouldn't we rather have him drop the hammer? Wouldn't we rather have him judge or wouldn't we rather accuse or be indignant or post on Facebook or show our contempt and our rage and our superiority? But you see, that's not what ambassadors are called to do. Verse 20 says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Ambassadors are sent to proclaim the message of the king. Be reconciled through Jesus. And the apostle Paul could never shut up about it. He knew he was a new creation. He embraced himself as, uh, as created in the image of God. He did not mind tribulation. It was as just tribulation were just the things that were scraping off the rough edges that were going to make him more into the image of his beloved. And it filled his life with love and passion, and you couldn't shut him up. But no passion, no story. Have you told the story to anyone lately? What would happen if, if you and I really began to believe that we'd been reconciled with God? That we are new creations. That through the cross, that he has, he has made us in his image and he is remaking us into wholeness and abundance and, and for joy. And because of that reconciliation... We don't need to run. We don't need to be hiding. We don't need to feel constantly guilty before God. But rather we can celebrate what the Spirit is doing within us. Wouldn't that be good news? Wouldn't that be worthy of telling someone? You see, if we have this attitude, we can say to our brother, Brother, that's just not who you are in Christ. Let me help you up. Let me... Let us begin again. That we could set aside judgment. 
We aren't turning a blind eye to sin. We're just saying that we're not qualified to be the judge. And, and, and you see, if we can take away the need for judgment that we're not qualified for, says the Scriptures, we don't need to, to exact a punishment. If I don't have to be responsible for judging and I don't have to punish people, wouldn't that lead to peace? And wouldn't that be worth telling somebody about? In my first little country church, there was a woman that, honestly, I didn't get along very well with for the first year I was there. My, my impression, she had her impression of me. I don't think it was all that good either. But my, my impression of her was that she was bitter that she never smiled, that she was unhappy, and, and because she was unhappy, she didn't want anyone else to be happy either. And as I said, I'm pretty sure her impression of me wasn't all that good either. There was continual friction between her and others in the church, and, and when that friction came up, which was pretty much on a weekly basis, she would come to me and, and absolutely demand that I fix it. She complained about others. Others complained about her. And, and over that first year, all it did was raise my frustration level. One day, another member came in and into my little office in this little country church. And, and she told me that, that the, this first woman had gone into her Sunday school room, her Sunday school room. It was hers. And uh, there was cabinets all over. There was about 10 different cabinets in there. And she had put uh, padlocks on every one of them. And so I walked into this Sunday school room and there was 10 brand new shiny padlocks on every one of the cupboards in her Sunday school room. Except the problem was it wasn't just hers. It was a room that was shared by other people. And, and, and so this one that had come to me said, I can't do what I had planned to do today because of all these padlocks. And something inside of me was just so angry. And I just wanted to go to her in that moment and say, this is completely unacceptable. I'm not always able to do this, but in this moment, I was able to stop and to, and to pray. And I said, Lord, help me. And for the first time in my life, I prayed a prayer. I don't know where it even came from. I said, help me to see this woman as you see her. And I felt the peace of God. And I moved on about my business. The very next Wednesday, this little woman came up to me. She wasn't angry this day. She it really caught me off guard. It was the first time that I think she'd ever spoken to me when she wasn't upset about something and wanting me to fix something. She kind of came up sideways to me, and, and she looked up with these kind of shy eyes, and, and tentatively, she had a, a, an envelope, and, and she said, I want to show you something. And I said, okay. And she pulled out of this uh, envelope uh, uh, an 8x10, maybe a little bit larger picture, and it was old. It must have been about 60 years old. It was before it was black and white pictures. They, it was kind of brown and white. You know the ones I'm, I'm talking about. And it was the picture of a, of, a, of a homecoming of this very church that we were serving in about 60 years previously. And, and, uh, and, and she looked up at me with these shy little tentative eyes and, and she said to me, can you pick me out? 
in the picture. And I, and I looked down and I, I said, no, ma'am, I can't. I, you're going to have to help me. And she pointed down to a little blonde-haired girl on the end of the front row. And she looked up and she smiled and she said, that was the most beautiful red dress I've ever owned. As if somehow she had peaked in her life at just the age of five. And the Spirit of God spoke to me in that moment and I knew the Spirit said, can you just imagine all of the hurt and the pain and the abuse that has so deeply affected this woman that she doesn't know how to experience joy? And I knew that the Spirit had answered my prayer. Lord, help me to see her as you see her. It, it changed our relationship. I began to see her as a child of the king, not in a condescending way, but as my sister who deeply needed love. I began to relate to her in that way, and she responded in kind. And almost every Wednesday night and Sunday morning, she would very quietly come up sideways and stand beside me until I would wrap my arm around her and give her a hug. It changed our relationship, and it changed her relationship with the church. And perhaps, if that's not miraculous enough, a few weeks later, without anyone ever saying anything to her, all of the locks simply disappeared from that classroom. She, she took them all down. All of the locks disappeared verse 18 now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and now has given us the ministry of reconciliation we are not called to judge we are not called to punish rather we are called to see each other as God sees us and be proclaimers of the good news. Be reconciled through Christ Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me? Who are we, Father, that you would be mindful of us? Who are we, Father, that through Christ you would humble yourself to our level and not just Humble yourself, but go and endure the passion and hang on the cross and bear our sins on our cross. Who are we? We recognize, Father, it is not about we, but it is about you whose love is too powerful, too overwhelming, that you pursue us out of your great love. And we come today to thank you, to worship you. 
to remember what you have done, that we are reconciled. Now, Lord, may we be like the Apostle Paul. By the power of your Spirit, may we never get over the reconciliation, but out of appreciation, inspire us, Lord, to go and tell, to be your ambassadors. We ask for this honor. In Jesus' name, amen.